Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we just say things like, your praise will ever be on our lips. Because we always want to be in this posture of worshiping you. What an awesome thought that Chris said that right now we are joining the angelic choir as they praise you day in and day out. God, we are only entering into a reality that's just not happening in front of us. God, I pray that we could always be in that kind of posture as a church. We just want to worship you and we want to give you the honor that you're due. And so, Father, I pray that this, even this time, Lord, this would just be an extension of praise because you cannot merely be explained. You must be encountered. People must experience who you are. More facts about you won't be enough, God. So I pray that this, even this message would be an extension of our praise of who you are now, God. We pray that your spirit would guide this time and lead this time. We pray that you would bless this time and that we wouldn't be the same. Pray that we wouldn't be the same, not because of a man speaking, but because of a God that people are encountering in a new and a fresh way. We pray, God, that you would do that in our midst so that we know that you have spoken. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Bridge Church. Thank you so much for being here today. We are in our second sermon in this series called Squad Goals, and we're really excited about what God is doing. And part of why we're excited is because we believe fundamentally that we have only scratched the surface of what God wants us to do as a church. We don't think we're even close to what God is going to do as a church. And so we have some goals that we've laid out, and we want you to join us in those goals. We want you to be part of that because if God's doing something here in the city, don't you want to be a part of it? Don't you want to be a part of his plan and how he's going to transform the city? And that's all we're doing is extending his plan to you. And so we have this series that we've put together, and it's really just laying out some of our major goals that we have. And we laid out some of them last week, and you can go back and listen to that sermon to hear some of the details of that sermon. But at the end of the day, we really believe that God has placed us in this city to help transform this city. Um, One of the things that is going to happen after the service today is that we are going to have a vision class. So our membership class really is fourfold. The way it works is that in one class, we talk about our vision, where we're going. And then we break down our mission. Our mission is that you would connect to God, grow with family, and serve in our city. And so we have a class for each portion of that. One class is a vision class. Another class is a connect to God class. Those are happening concurrently today. If you are wanting to join or if you're interested in membership, we to either one of those classes. And I believe we have food. I think we might have some pizza that will be served right after church upstairs. But we pray that you would go upstairs, get some food. If you want to be part of the vision class, meaning you want that first step of membership, you'll be coming downstairs after you eat. But if you want to just learn more about connecting to God personally and privately, then you'll stay upstairs when we're eating. So we pray that you get involved with that. We're really excited about what God is going to be doing in the city, but we want to equip you and train you in our mission. All right. Now, what we said last week in these squad goals, the first goal we said was that we have to have big faith, that we, do nev- we never want to insult God with small faith. 
And that we, when we looked at the scriptures, we saw that God notices our faith. That he does not ignore the fact that we might be living in fear, but he notices as well when we're living boldly for his glory. And so we said first and foremost, if we're going to reach our goals, if we're going to see God do some great things, we must have big faith. And we will never insult God with small thinking. We'll never insult God with small faith. We're always going to be taking great risk for a great God. How dare us think small when God is so big. So in light of that, we will have big faith. The other goal that we are going to reach in this year is we have, are going to have servant hearts. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In order to reach this city, in order to see our mission come to fruition, that we want to see people connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city, in order that to happen, we all have to have the posture of a servant and to have servant hearts. Uh, first, I want to share with you, just to frame our time, a couple of verses, and then we're going to talk about what it means to serve our king. All right, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. If you have your Bible, go there. Uh, but if you don't have your Bible, you can look on your phone. And if not, you can look up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2. This might be my favorite verse in the Bible, primarily because I think it, it has just stuck with me through some incredible times in my life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It reads this way. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourself. In fact, he says, it's the gift of God, uh, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. So what he says there is that you are not saved by works. He says, if you are saved by works, then you can boast. You can actually say, I've been impressive to God. There are things that I do that blow him away, and he's impressed by my righteousness. But what he's saying is that our, our righteousness does not impress God. In fact, the scriptures say they're like filthy rags to God. No, we are not impressive to God. We are saved by grace. There's nothing we can do to be saved in and of ourselves. It is a gift by God. So we are not saved by works. But here's what he says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in uh, beforehand that we should walk in them. So what he says is we're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. We are the reason why God is saving you. The reason why God rescues you from the penalty of your sin is not only that you would glorify him in this earth, but that he would also use you to be a, what he says right there, that workmanship. Uh, that's the idea of a uh, masterpiece, handcraft. It's, it's, it's as the imagery of someone who put together this incredible picture and he wants to put it on display before the world. So he's saying, I've put you on display so that people would notice you and notice how you're made. And so he says, we are his workmanship. So we are saved for a great work. And this is the crazy part. He says, which God prepared beforehand. So the scripture says that God has actually prepared work for us to do. And this is not something you've got to conjure up. This is something he's prepared beforehand. What an awesome text. 
Because the verse there where it says prepared, it's a word that's used in the ancient east. And it, was be, it would be used when uh, there would be a king in his chariot. And as he was going along the road in his chariot, he would actually be in the road. And as he would come along the road, there might be some obstacles there. So a servant would get out of the chariot and then clear out the road so that the king would be able to go down the road. What's crazy is that our king is the one that got out of heaven and he prepared a road for us, for his servants. This word is talking about how servants help the king, but our king has prepared something for the servants. You see, this is so crazy. God has prepared something for us. He's prepared it. He's already prepared it. You know, I, I think about, um, I was talking to Rasul before. I said, you know, I don't know how to bring this home. I don't know how to, I don't know how to get, get, get more excited and more inspired by that. But I think about if, you know, um, I used to go to these uh, warehouses for clothes, and they had these people that were like professional um, people that get you clothes. They like, they, they hook up your dress. Stylists. You know what I'm talking about? And they prepare an outfit for you. And like they already have it swagged out for you. And I don't know who's a good stylist, Louis Vuitton, I don't know, but imagine. Vuitton? Vuitton? Y'all know who I'm talking about? Could you imagine this dude preparing an outfit for you? And you, you would think I would look good. And see, what you have to think in your mind, it's not about what I'm wearing. You've got to think who prepared it for me. And based upon who prepared it for me, I can have confidence how I'll look. And what this text is saying is that based upon the fact that the creator, God of heaven and earth, prepared a work for me to do, I don't have to worry if I have significance in this life. I don't even have to conjure up in myself, has God made something for me to do? You see, when I have been in the pit of despair, feeling like I have no significance, I go back to this text and say, there's something. There's something he's prepared for me to do. My life is not useless. My time is not being wasted. My moments aren't going by the wayside. God has prepared something for me to do. So I, when I am in the pit of despair, I look in the mirror and I say to myself, something has been prepared. I have an awesome call of God on my life. I have an awesome call of God on my life. And I am confident in that. And I look at texts like that. But this is the crazy thing. You have an awesome call of God on your life. You have an awesome call of God on your life. God has something great for you to do. God has something awesome for you to do. But this is where it gets crazy. God has something for us to do. This text was not written to individuals. It was written to a group of people. God has something for us to do. That's where I gain my confidence, not in our music, not in our preaching, but in the sovereignty of God. Before the foundation of the world, God has prepared something for us to do. And it's because who prepared it is where we get our confidence from. God prepared it. And so you have to think to yourself, is there any way I could miss what he's prepared for me? Is there anything that could cause me to avoid what he's already laid out for me to do? 
And I think that there are some texts, one text in particular, that can give me this illusion. If you could turn quickly to John chapter 4, if you have your Bible, or uh, you could look up on the screen. Before I read the text, let me give you a little bit of context. In John chapter 4, you have uh, Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. This woman has been going to draw water from this well. Jesus, well-known teacher, is just sitting there by himself because the disciples have gone on to get some food. So here, Jesus, by himself, ends up engaging this Samaritan woman in a conversation. Historically, you have to understand that this is not a conversation that should take place. Samaritans and Jews normally don't talk to one another. Samaritans have really a history of tension with the Jews. By way of context, Jews and Samaritans both were really one people at one time. They were all part of the Jewish kingdom. And this kingdom was broken up into two parts. Those two parts were considered northern, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Well, there came a time where the northern kingdom got taken over by the Assyrians. And once the Assyrians came in, those that were in the northern kingdom ended, ended up intermarrying with them. So much so that they ended up worshiping their gods alongside of them. And so those that were there, the, the name of the group there, Israel, ended up intermarrying to the point where they became known as the Samaritans. Well, then you had the southern kingdom, which was Judah, and Judah ended up getting taken over by the Babylonians. But when the Babylonians took them over after several years, those Jews ended up coming back to their land in the southern kingdom. When they came back to the southern kingdom, they noticed what happened in the northern kingdom. They looked over at their cousins and they said, y'all look different. Y'all aren't the same. You've intermarried. You've married outside our race. You're beginning to worship other gods. And so, even as I say this, you can feel tensions from our own culture where now it's, it's not just because they were so different, it was because they were so similar that brought the tensions about. And so Jews and Samaritans had hundreds of years of hatred because of the way they worshiped differently yet similar and because of the way they looked, which was differently yet similar. And so because of all that, here is this tension, a Jew talking to a Samaritan, but not just a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. Now, women in that day and age were considered less than slaves. And then you factor in that if you look in the context of the chapter, John chapter 4, this woman was an immoral woman. So her being an immoral woman, she was rejected by her own friends, her own peers. So she's been rejected by her own Samaritan friends. She's been rejected by Roman culture because she's a woman. And she's been rejected by Jews. This is the last person Jesus should be talking to. And yet, here she is talking to Jesus. The disciples, they've gone off to get some food, and they come back. And when they come back, they see him talking to this woman. In, in chapter 4, it says, Just when the disciples returned, they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? They just said to themselves, 
wonder why Jesus is talking with this woman. And so in verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And then in verse 32, it says, But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then in verse 33, it says, Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? And so the disciples are thinking just like you and I. You got food that you, oh, somebody must have brought him some food. Now, throughout this chapter, if you were to go back and read John chapter 4, what you would see is that one of the things that Jesus has done is that he continues to take temporal things and use them as a launching pad to talk about spiritual things. So he's done that with water and thus and such. And so, but here he says, oh, I, don't, I got food y'all don't know about. And they're like, oh, oh where's, where's the food? Where's the food? And this is what Jesus says. He said, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's my food. Now, I'm sure they were surprised because they're like, well, we were just talking about like some fish, bruh, and some bread. <laughs> But Jesus, being able to read the minds of people, knew their motives. And he used that as a launching pad to have a deeper discussion. And here's what Jesus is really saying. You're always thinking, what's going to fill me? You're always thinking, what can I have that will pump me up, fill me up, fill me, fill me, nourish me? And what he says is, my nourishment comes when I see others filled up. I am fulfilled when others are filled. That's my nourishment. That's what I long to do and long to be. And he says so much so that he says, listen, this is my food. It's to do his will. But then he says something so powerful. Finish. Guys, I know that this is the last person I would talk to, and I know it's going to mess with my reputation, and I understand that our time is limited because we have all these great things to do, and this is the person that we would select. And I understand that this is kind of working against the way that y'all think the plan should go, but my father has a will, and his will is to be with the least of these and the hurting, and God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And so I know that's kind of messing with your reputation and all, and I know that means we're going to have to look like servants and all, but that's the will of God. And in guys, if we miss out on moments like this, we'll miss God. And we won't finish what God has prepared for us. Could it be that God could prepare something for you to do and you not finish? How scary would it be if you live with an unfinished life? A life where God has laid something out, prepared something for you to do, and you were not fulfilling it. I believe what Jesus is saying here is that I'm clear on what my assignment is. I'm I'm here to serve God and serve those who are broken and hurting. That's my assignment. And what I believe fundamentally is that selfishness can steal our assignment. Selfishness can always steal the assignment that God has laid out for us to have and us to do and us to live out in this world. And so the scriptures are giving us this picture of the tension that we all live with. And the challenging thing that we have going on is that selfishness is not just something that happens in your heart. It's the culture we live in. 
It's the way of the world. We're about to have a baby. And when we have that baby, I will not have to give that baby a toy and say to that child, when I, take, when I give you this toy, I'm going to give you some selfish lessons. Take the toy, and then I'm going to try to pull it from you, and I want you to scream at the top of your lungs and say, mine, mine, mine. I want you to come on, come on, give it a try, baby. Well, I'm not going to have to do that because we come out the womb wanting what we want. And we see things from our own perspective. And we have a hard time breaking our own will for the will of God. But the crazy thing is, too, is that that's not just the nature that you have, but that's, uh, that's not just the, the nature you have, it's the culture we have. Particularly in American culture. Um, I'm, a, I'm a byproduct of 1976. <laughs> and, uh, and so there are certain things that I remember that you may not remember, certain moments that I've had that you may not remember. Um, but one of the things that the scriptures uh, speak to is a selfish nature, and, and it's also in our culture. But our surroundings in the marketing world, like McDonald's, will used to say something like this. Does anybody remember two all-beef patties? Special sauce? Lettuce cheese? Pickles onions? On a sesame seed bun? Wasn't that the constant thing? And that's what you heard all the time, two all-beef patties, but I can't do it, I don't remember it. But that's what you heard all the time. And when you walked into a McDonald's, that's what you were going to get every single time. In fact, it was a promise the marketers were making. We're going to give you such a quality bun, such a quality burger. You can count on it. But then, in the mid-70s, a king arose. a new king, and he had a different agenda. And this king didn't have you memorizing what the burger would look like. This king remixed the culture and said, have it your way. You don't want a special sauce? Have it your way. You don't want a sesame seed bun? I don't know if they do that, but I'm just saying it just, <laughs> just goes with the analogy. <laughs> and so everyone felt empowered walking into a Burger King. And Burger King, <laughs> and Burger King, Burger King, we're still at that size where we have like call and response in that unique way. <laughs> so everyone felt empowered. But after the, that king rose up, another king rose up. And the new king is you. You're the king. The customer is king. Customizing things. And if you don't like it, we'll get rid of it. One speaker said it this way, a company will promote their quality, value, style of service, selection, convenience, savings, performance, experience, low rates, friendly service, name brands, easy terms, affordable prices, money back guarantee, free installation, free admission, free appraisal, free alterations, free delivery, free estimates, free home trials, and free parking. No cash, no problem, no kidding, no fuss, no must, no risk, no obligation, no red tape, no down payment, no entry fee, no hidden fees, no purchase necessary. No one will call on you, no payments until September. Don't forget to pick up your free 
classy gift, a classy deluxe, custom designer, luxury, prestige, high quality, premium, one of a kind pencil holder. No purchase <laughs> necessary. <laughs> because you're that important to us. And the culture of have it your way has bled into the church. And while a church may articulate, connect, grow, serve, in our hearts we're saying, have it my way. And we want things our way. And that does not mean that we should not hear the critiques of the church or the critiques of the community. That does not mean that at all. It just means that whenever the church begins to point a direction, there's something in you that says this is not right or I'm not into this or this is not just not for me because it's not my way. And so that is a culture you've been groomed in. And so how can you tell, how can you rate yourself? Uh, hopefully you've had a chance to go to one of our city groups and in our city groups, we've done some moments where we've kind of rated last week where you are on your faith scale. And this week, when you go into city groups, you're going to rate where you're at on your uh, scale of realizing, are you a spiritual consumer or are you a spiritual contributor? If you have ever, uh, if you've been in our church for quite some time, um, there's a very good chance you've gotten something for free. Some water, a bottle of water. Um, the chair you're sitting in is free, um, a t-shirt for free quite possibly, uh, some pizza after church, we're not, you know, there's no admission. Um, all these things are free. And if you, during that time, all those things have been free and you've, ne it, you've never even had the impulse to like give financially or to stay after and help serve, then rate yourself anywhere between one to three. Like you're on the lower end because when all those things happen, you're like, this is my way, nice. And you presume that we're serve, we're, we are serving you, our goal is to serve you, when in essence it is, but ultimately it's that we would serve together. But let's say you're sticking around for membership after, or you're sticking around for the Connect to God class after, or you get here early before church to set up, or you go to city group and you connect with people, or even if you're so busy after church, you bend your will and just get to know people. In other words, if you're doing anything that is giving you or giving us the impression that you're in with us, you know, you're sacrificing your time and you're sacrificing financially. You know, there are some people who are like, you know, I give my time, so I don't give my money. And somehow they're like, time is money. They took that literally. <laughs> they're like, see, I give my time, and time is money. But somehow we put these things in our mind where some of us are sacrificing great. If you're doing that, you're somewhere between a five and above. But you need to sit down with the Lord and ask yourself, am I contributing or am I consuming? And so there are two points that I want to leave you with that could help put some guardrails on this year for you to understand our goals, our squad goals. Two points that I want to leave you with. The first is God calls you to serve in his church. And the second is God calls you to serve as his church. Here's a verse 
that I gain my confidence to make sure I develop every believer in this church. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 reads this way. All these work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, if you see right there where it says each one, the context of that chapter is talking about gifting, and it says that every single one of us who know Jesus has a gift of the spirit that they've been given. Every single one of us. And they've been distributed by God so that we might serve his body. So that's why I'm so confident. When you're a part of us, I'm confident. God has called you and saved you to use you and use you in our midst. Because when you look at the gifts, much of them are how you operate in community. Not just how you operate solo. And so I want to read a verse here from Romans 12. So you may have to skip. uh, Yeah, perfect. Romans 12, it reads this way. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then encourage. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. If it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. He's saying if you have a gift, use it. It's very clear from the text. But one of the things that I think that, particularly in the the church that we are uh, forming today in this culture, people feel like uh, it's until I know my gift that I should serve. You know, so uh, we have like gift tests. And a gift test we've kind of uh, fashioned after like Myers-Briggs and um, uh, StrengthsFinder. And there's nothing wrong with those. I think those are very helpful. But your gifts aren't like Myers-Briggs. It's not necessarily just a personality design. Let me give you an analogy to help you understand. Um, I think we have two images. That first image is a makeup kit. Now, when you have a makeup kit, um, my mom had this huge vanity when we were growing up, and she had all this makeup there, and, you know, um, she would be there for about 30 minutes before she would go out, and she'd have all the makeup, and the mirror there and the tools there are to help her look better, right? That's the whole point of a makeup kit, making sure you look good after. But then there's this other image I want to show you, and that's a toolkit. And a toolkit really has one fundamental idea. You got all these different types of tools that are intended to help fix what is broken. And what's crazy is that many of us look at our gifts like it's a makeup kit. That the whole point of the reason why God has gifted me is how I look. And so sometimes we're, we're worried about getting up and serving because we're worried about how we look. But if you look at your gifting as a toolkit, then a toolkit, all you're worried about is, hey, what's broken? How can I help? And so one of the challenges people have is they don't, you know, I don't know how I'll look with kids because kids are challenging. You were a kid once and somebody dealt with your selfish butt and we need other people to deal with kids. My my point is, is that we we far too often take take the posture of someone looking in the mirror rather than someone looking at something broken and wanting to do whatever it takes to help. And so we keep ourselves on the sidelines, oftentimes commenting on the problems and not jumping in and engaging a broken community. 
And that's what we are. We are a broken community. We have all types of challenges in this community. Oh, yes, the people next to you, they're worse than you think they are. There's more, they have more sin than, they are even, than you even could imagine. And God has placed you into this body to serve the people next to you. And that's why he's placed us here together. And so one of the things you'll notice that I just want to share with you some of the gifts that the scriptures lay out. All of them are gifts that have to do with how you engage people in community. Not just singing, not just teaching. Those are upfront gifts, but the, all the gifts are really about how you engage people in community. Now, um, I want to just throw some of these up there, and I just want to work through some of these quickly. Now, some people believe that the Spirit of the living God has given some gifts early in church history, and those gifts are no longer available today. I would say that what I see in the scriptures, and we can have a raw, robust discussion about it if you'd like, what we see in the scriptures is that the Spirit of God is still available today to do unique things. But they're just not as prevalent as they were when there was a time when people didn't know the name of Jesus. But this gift of prophecy, this gift of prophecy can break down as foretelling or forthtelling, where you have the ability, and this is what we need from you, Mr. or Mrs. Prophet, We need you to start being honest with people because that's what God has made you to do. If you have have that spirit, if you have that prophetic spirit, the the, the essence of a prophetic spirit isn't always telling us what we're going to do in the future. It's really telling me what I need to do now and bringing forth from the scriptures how I need to live. And God, the Holy Spirit of God has enabled you to do that. But it will, it will not be at its maximum until you're in the life, lives of people. So there's that prophecy, that, that gift of prophecy. Then there's serving. Take a hint. Serving. But you're helpful. You're a very helpful person. Teaching. You can explain things well. And here's what I just want to be clear about. None of these are titles. They're postures. You don't have to wait for a title to do any of these things. These are, the, these are ways to serve alongside one another, not moments to wait till we, till we recognize it and give you a title. There's, there's exhortation. You know what you are? You're an encourager. People sit down with you who are hurting, and you're able to speak into their life. Now, If someone is hurting and you sit there and you're like, I don't know what to say, that's not your gift. (laughs) And I'm not saying that you don't need to love each other. We're we're all called to do all this stuff. I'm just saying, avoid some things. (laughs) Giving, giving, you're always sharing with people. You have the capability. God has endowed you with the ability to share. Leadership, you're okay with making a plan. I was with Graham Will's wife. And she was in the back, and they, the worship team was doing stuff, and she's back there pointing, and let's go, let's go. Like, a leader, you ain't got to give them a title. You'll be on a bus, and people don't know where to go. You're like, over there, you need to go. Who are you? Who do you work for? I work for Jesus. Let's go. Over here. You don't need a title. It's just what you do. When you, listen, you always want to bring order to chaos. You know, you sit, in a, you sit in a small group, you're like, this could be so much better. That's your gift. 
That's your gift. And that's something God has given you to do. But, but it's not enough. It's not enough to have comments. It's enough to have commitment. I'll never, I'll never forget. I was my first church. I, I always talk bad about my first church. It's because it was a bad church. But it was, we, we, somebody came up to me and said, can we get a comment box? And I said, a what? A comment box. And I was like, a comment box so that people can comment and just leave. Now, don't get me wrong. We actually get feedback from our first-time guests and stuff like that. But a comment box. I was like, wow. So I could just know. So a comment box can feel like, like the part on YouTube where you can comment at the bottom. <laughs> like, that's what a comment box feels like when you open it up. Because people give you these raw opinions. And I was like, and I remember, I'll never forget, I was like, I don't want a comment box, but I will take a commitment box. Where you, write your, where you write down the problem and then you put your name under it and how long you'll deal with it. I was like, we could, we, that thing could be huge. So anyway, what I'm saying is, so you have these abilities. Okay, and so some of you have these giftings and you're not using them. And, we, and God has called you to use them. Um, mercy, you are a sympathetic person. You get into the life of people. You hear them well. Words of wisdom. This is a speaking gift. It's the ability to see current circumstances in the broader context. When people get, you're a, you're a counselor. People talk to you. You help make sense to their life. A word of knowledge. You're able to acquire insights from the word of God. You can speak into people's lives. And this can be twofold. It means that you can acquire knowledge quite possibly, or it means that you can speak into the lives of people. Faith. You, you, you can trust God for incredible miracles. Healing. Listen. I don't know. I haven't seen this. But if you're here, let's go. No, seriously. I believe this is still available. I think it happens in other places more, but I still believe God still heals and can use people to heal. I believe that with my whole heart. And just because it may not be in this church, or it might be, it might be dormant, but just because we don't see it doesn't mean God doesn't do it. Okay, so uh, miraculous powers. God has enabled you to do something supernatural. Distinguishing of spirits. I know we got several people here like this. You... <laughs> You discern people. I know who you are, too. Y'all look deep in my eyes when I'm talking. Some of y'all, I'm like, could you look away? You just, I'm not lying, okay? But you, you it's, it's called distinguishing spirits, but what it means is you're able to discern the motives and intentions of people's hearts. Okay, you read people. Tongues fundamentally believe in this gift. In fact, this is a gift I have, okay? And I, I pray in tongues. And when you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, this is a gift that Paul says that you can pray in and your mind is unfruitful. The gift I don't have is speaking in tongues because if you can speak in tongues, then the next gift is the ability to interpret tongues. And if you have the gift to speak in tongues, I'm waiting to hear you, but I'm also waiting for the interpreter to interpret what you're saying. So the whole essence of speaking in tongues means that you are going to say something that's going to edify us. If you say something and we don't know what you're saying, then you're really bringing attention to yourself and you're not edifying the body. 
But uh, going back to the idea of praying in tongues, this is a gift I have, and part of what that gift enables me to do is pray for a long time without having to put words together. Uh, Very similar to Romans 8 about groanings that I don't understand, but I'm connecting to my God in a very deep and intimate way. And if this is what you have, we need you to do it more. We need you to intercede for the body even more. And the gift of helps, you're able to help. God wants you to use these gifts to minister to his body. My last point is this. God has not all only called us to serve in his church. He's called us to serve as his church. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And what he is saying is that as God has called us as his church in the world, we are to have a posture of love to the world that's so distinguishing that people notice it. We have a noticeable love of God and a noticeable love of people. Let your light so shine that people notice it. That's the essence of that text. You have to ask yourself in the past seven days, how many people have seen you as a person that lives different? where they see that you have a noticeable love of God and they wonder, why are you different? Why do you care for me? Why are you so patient with me? And you are able to listen to me when I'm hurting and I know I can always count on you. You know, I I did something against you and I knew you would forgive me. I just knew it because I've I've just seen the way you operate and I knew you would do that. You know, at work, it's so funny. You're so generous with your time and there's no strings attached. What is it about you? Why are you the way you are? And the scriptures say that this is our opportunity to tell people that the only reason why we love is because he first loved us. And that people are impressed You leave an impression with your love of God. There's a part of you that may be wondering, what do I need to do now? What do I need to do? Do I I need to join something in the church? Do I need to do something more at work? Those two rules, those two commands, to love God and to love people, those are the only two rules we need to really focus on that you would deepen your love for God every day and you would deepen your love for people every day. And when there is someone who is, has a deep love of God and a deep love of people, it comes across. No matter if they're doing an upfront gift or a behind the scenes gift, it comes across. Second Corinthians chapter two talks about having an aroma of Christ a fragrance of Christ. When I was a kid growing up, there was a kid in my class who never washed up. But what he did, he would put cologne on. 
And so he was always dirty, but he tried to cover it up with a sweet smell. And part of our challenge is, I don't want you to hear just serve more in the church. Because if you just do more activity, but you haven't deepened your intimacy, you might be dirty and just try to cover it up with works. You see, it comes across. Love for God comes across. Love for people comes across. It doesn't matter how much you're serving, it comes across. You don't have to be a florist to know that roses smell good. You don't have to be a, you don't have to be a deep Christian to know when someone loves you. It just comes across. And so if there's anything that you feel like you need to do, start by deepening your love for God. And if you want a deeper love for people, ask. And I envision a church. The reason why we have such great goals, I envision a church where people walk in and they feel the love of God. They sense the love of God. They see the presence of God in the way we sing, in the way we worship, in our preaching, in our community. They can see that there is something different here and they want to be a part of it. And no matter where a person is, no matter how many times they've failed, I pray that someone could walk in here and know that God loves them. And that is the calling of God on your life. Don't get so wrapped up in figuring out your gift. Get wrapped up in the love of God and loving God deeply and loving people deeply. And that's what we are here to do as a church. Even now, even now, in this moment, there's a part of you that prayerfully is wrestling. Am I contributing or am I consuming? I pray you wrestle with that well but it begins with repentance. And we want the fire of revival in our church, but it begins with sacrifice. All fire needs a sacrifice in the scriptures. We are that sacrifice. We are laying our lives down. God will start revival when people start laying down their life. When people with a broken will and a contrite heart say, God, use me for whatever that is. And then when we start to do great things, even more, even greater things in the city, it's because these people, when we, when we sung these songs, God, ever be on my lips. When we sing these songs about wanting to be close to God, that they're not just songs we're singing, but they are declarations of our heart. And I wonder if you want to be a part of that. I wonder if you want to finish the work that God has for you. And I pray you're afraid of an unfinished life. I pray that you're afraid of not hearing well done because that consumes me. I long to hear well done, James. I love that image that Chris gave of the Lord being worshiped in heaven. And imagine looking to the Lord one day, and I want to hear that affirmation from my God. I prepared you, and you finished. I prepared a work, and you finished it. You finished it. You finished it. Well done. Well done. I sent you in that city, and you finished it. And what I am charging you today as do not let, 
a self-centered, self-consumed culture steal your assignment. Don't let it steal your assignment. God has given you an assignment. Walk in it. Walk in it here in this community. And if you can only give one hour, let people feel your love for an hour. But let the love of God, let the love of God, oh, let it be so full in this church that you can't stand it. Let it be so pungent to the, to, to, to our, to the atmosphere that when we walk in, people sense these people aren't listening to a man. They're not just singing songs. They are worshiping a holy God. They aren't just serving like volunteers. They're worshiping. I pray that you would worship with us and you'd join us as worshipers, loving God. I want to pray for you. God, it starts by turning from us and turning to you. Turning from us and turning to you. Holy Spirit, we have an enemy and he wants to steal our assignment and he wants us to get caught up in all types of things that have nothing to do with you. And like any enemy, Heavenly Father, I wonder what the strategy of this church is. How is he strategizing here? What is his scheme? What's his plan? Whatever the schemes and plans of the evil one are, I pray against all of them. And I pray for a church flourishing in its assignment. Flourishing in its assignment. And our church will not flourish until all of us have bought into the idea of turning from our sin and turning to God. And in the name of Jesus, let us walk in what you've prepared. In the name of Jesus, let us finish the work. In the name of Jesus, we will be contributors and not consumers. In the name of Jesus, we will sacrifice our will. We will not have a selfish will. In the name of Jesus, we'll have it your way and not have it our way. In the name of Jesus, great things happened when he sacrificed his life. Great things will happen when we sacrifice our lives.